Welcome into Props and Hops, a podcast pursuing the best in betting and beer. I'm your host, Matt Landis, joined this week by Andy Molitor for an early breakdown on the NFL draft betting market in the aftermath of last week's NFL Combine. A lot of you in the audience may already know Andy as the director of content with BetSperts, also as the co-host of Brown Bag Bets, a daily sports betting live stream, and of course, the Deep Dive Pod. And there's a really cool spinoff of the Deep Dive Pod going on this year, the NFL Draft spinoff, the fifth-year option. Highly recommend listening to that for any of you out there who are not doing so already. Andy, I know you've got a lot going on year-round when it comes to the sports betting content space. Really appreciate the time today. Welcome back to Props and Hops. Yeah, appreciate you having me. Excited to talk, and there's a lot to talk about after you know five days of you know the underwear Olympics there over in Indianapolis. <laughs> Indeed. And I'd like to start with uh, probably a pretty natural starting point, looking at the state of the draft betting market right now, pretty widely available. I'm seeing markets for first overall pick, first player by position, especially if we're looking at quarterback and wide receiver, first defensive player. Beyond that, it seems like pretty slim pickings. I know that there is one big regulated book hanging player versus player matchups. So it's pretty cool to see that this early on. Given where we are right now, almost two months out from the draft, what's your take on the breadth of current offerings across the regulated and offshore betting markets? I mean, I'm always going to complain and I'm always going to want more because that's just the nature. But I'd say we're, we're probably on pace with where we were last year. Like the, it's slow, but things do start to open up after the NFL, you know, scouting combine happens. Like you said, we did get some matchups. A lot of it is just, hey, here's the two top corners by the, the way the market looks at them. And here's a head to head or here's, you know, Skaronsky and Johnson. Like we're going to give you a head to head on two top linemen. And, you know, it wasn't a big offering, but it's, it's nice to see stuff slowly populating, you know, in the offshore markets, there's some, some other you know, props you'll see here and there, but a lot of very low limit stuff. You know, it's, it's basically the same thing. First quarterback, first defensive, first wide receiver, First overall, there's one that has uh, which team, and I did see this at a regulated book as well, which team will draft in the first position, basically like who trades with the Bears kind of uh, spot. I know some people had some some bigger numbers than we expected to see on Houston in that. I think that one got hit pretty quick as well. So, um, yeah, it, it's it's slowly trickling in. Like, what is it? It's March 7th. The draft is literally like six or seven weeks away yet. It's, there's a long time, but it'll uh it'll be the the slow deluge of uh you know slowly populating as we go which i guess is, makes it easier to kind of digest as we as we move towards uh late april yeah especially for people like yourself who are really ramping up handicapping college basketball as well so maybe not the worst thing that the market is on more of a gradual on-ramp one point that I did want to run by you, I feel like a lot of popular bets that I've enjoyed making every year that have been pretty successful, not yet widely available, a player's over-under spot, especially if we're talking likely first-rounders. We'll see those start to trickle in. Also, positions over-under first round, how many quarterbacks, how many wide receivers, how many tight ends, and so on. When it comes to those player and position over-unders, especially with a focus on the first round. Do you have any sense as to when we might start to see those markets develop? Those should be fairly soon. I would say within the next few weeks, you do start to get some of that. And it might not be the the full menu of like, here's a whole bunch of over-unders. And, you know, those are, some of those aren't going up until during the draft. You know, you'll see new markets populate for round two guys during the draft. So, 
uh, I, I would expect like the how many wide receivers over under, how many offensive linemen, how many you know defensive players, offensive players, that sort of stuff. I would expect that to be next, and then the over unders for the actual players, at least some of the. You know, the ones that are in doubt, those do tend to get sharpened up pretty quick. Uh, you know, within the next few weeks, I think those are kind of your next two main markets are going to start popping up. And those are, you know, those are a ton of fun, especially right now with, I mean, if you just start looking at the mock drafts that have come out so far this week, and it's been light. Um, I think a lot of people are taking a lot more time this week with all the combine results and all the news coming out of Indy. But you start to see like, hey, this guy was, you know, you're, 15th pick last week and he's not even in your mock right now and you know there, there's so much uncertainty from like 15 to 60 as far as the the draft goes it's it's really hard to pin that down as far as how many wide receivers will go uh, tight ends will be one i think that bounces around a lot because there's people that fell in love with basically every tight end that showed up in indy and there's you know a lot of talk of many tight ends going in the first round which is i don't i don't i hate to disagree this early in the process but Boy, it's just not a it's just not a really high value position of need for a ton of teams when there's so many other good players out there. So it'll be that's the one I'm really excited to see what they open the tight end number at. And when it comes to that tight end market, one quick question I want to run by you that came to my mind as you were wrapping up that answer. I feel like between the relatively low positional value and then the fact that it's regarded as a pretty deep class. I wonder if the strength of this class might actually hurt the number of first round tight ends that we see, because maybe a lot of teams going mid to late first round figure, oh, if we don't get one of the top two or three tight ends, we'll probably have some good options available next time the board comes to us. Yeah. And even in the case of, you know, if we don't get Meyer, there's there's three other guys that are probably going to fall somewhere between, you know, maybe like 25 and 40, 25 and 60. And you can certainly take another swing and even trade up if you need to, if you really, really had your eyes on the guys. So that's well, a good point by you, Matt. I think, uh, it, you know, the strength of the class can almost be a, a negative as far as the class as a whole goes. I think, uh, I think with tight ends, that's going to be a fascinating point to watch for as we approach the first round. But before we're there, I know a lot of eyes set on Indy, as you touched on last week, with the Combine. Andy, coming out of the Combine, who would you say are some of your biggest risers and fallers? Well, I guess I can just skip over the Richards and stuff. Like everybody, everybody knows what he did. And like, that's going to be a whole point of contention and argument on Twitter for the next uh, couple months as well, because everyone will say, well, Josh Allen did it. And it's like, yeah, well, that's might be a unicorn. That might be a black swan event that doesn't just, you know, quarterbacks don't just fix themselves like that. But uh, I mean, amazing what he did. There was bait. And like we just mentioned, like all the tight ends tested pretty well. Um, some of the measurements were, you know, a little transparent. Like it was pretty obvious that Bryce Young had just eaten a ton of, I don't know, like he just went to an all he can eat pasta bar, drink a lot of water. And like, there's no chance he was ever playing at 204 last year, probably closer to, you know, 180. So, I mean, kudos by him and his team to get there. But I think uh, Nolan, Nolan Smith was a good one. Like just sometimes, you know, sometimes testing out well is, is fine and all. But like with Anthony Richardson, it was, it was expected. Like the, everybody knows he's an athletic freak. It was like, Hey, this was what we expected out of him. A lot of the people were, 
I think more taken by just how big of an arm he has, which again is it's tough to grade some of this stuff. There's no defensive line, there's no pads on, you're just whipping it around in the you know in Lucas Oil there by yourself, but still can't be denied he has a big arm. But that, Nolan Smith was a pretty decent riser, and then I think basically everybody that wasn't uh, uh, Johnson in the or excuse me, was it Broderick Johnson? I think that was a, a little bit of a faller. There was some movement in the offensive lineman market. Uh, I think kind of coming into the the draft process, people put Skaronsky probably first or second, you know, like a, a tie for first, I guess. And Paris probably probably has passed him up, and you can see that in some of those head-to-head markets and the cornerback market as well, depending on how you feel about those guys. And then uh, JSN, like it's uh, – it's kind of chalk now that he's first wide receiver off the board, which I don't guess fully agree with because I think that's kind of a fit where he might not fit with everybody who needs a wide receiver. So there might be a little bit of value in the, the wide receiver market just based on how how well he looked or how well he tested out. I want to circle back on the topic of team and player fit in a moment here, but when you talked about Richardson, something that stood out was – the fact that we all expected him to test well and look really good at the combine. And yet we've seen his odds get to, I've seen recently as low as plus 250 to go first overall. And I know he'd been seemed a bit before the combine, but not too long ago, we could see him widely available in the ballpark of 50 to one. So based on Richardson performing as expected, or, or you can't say he did any worse than expected. If anything, even with lofty expectations, fine. He outperformed those. But like you said, underwear Olympics, it was just the combine. When we're talking about a number in the range of plus 250, do you feel like that is anywhere near fair? Or is it safe to assume that if you have any interest in Richardson to go first overall, the number has just spiraled out of control at this point? Yeah, I mean, if you gave me a no on that, if you gave me minus 450 or you know, I'd probably think about it. I've bet bigger numbers than that in the, in the draft. But you just never know with teams. Teams can be surprising. Uh and again, a lot of this is like, why why guess when some of this news will eventually just come out? Like, why bet into bet into a guess when you can just bet into a no? Like once we actually find out who some of these teams like, you know, some teams, some of the dumbest news comes out of the combine too. It says, you know, hey, there's a couple teams who have a rich as their top quarterback on the board. They, of course, aren't drafting quarterbacks in this draft, but like, well, that's not all that useful because, uh, you know, there's no, there's no, uh, you know, stake for them. There's no, you know, money on the table for that. They can say whatever they want. They're not drafting a quarterback one way or the other. So I think something to look at with a guy like him, and because my opinion, your opinion, everyone's opinion on Anthony Richardson doesn't matter. We're not drafting. It's, you know, the information we're getting and the opinion of these teams, these GMs, these front offices. But I think there is something to be said for how snug they are in their job. Like I'm trying to think of, you know, just some of the good, like the bears are a perfect example, you know, uh, where they were the last couple of years. Like you can't be taking an Anthony Richardson. If you're in that kind of spot, if you're, if you're, you know, necky and pace, like if you're even close to the hot seats and you're taking a big project with high upside like that and it fails, like you're just kind of writing your own pink slip. So it's more likely for him to go to a team with a, a front office. It's, pretty confident that they can 
get three or you know two or at least two or three years of hey this is a guy who threw for like 50 percent completion rate in college with an sec coaching staff that's the thing about the josh allen comparison like you know wyoming coaching staff this is an sec coaching staff the sec facility is like it, it is a big project and if if the team isn't a you know a spot where they're gonna let the the coaching staff get three years to fully develop this guy. It's probably a bad idea to take him at all. And, you know, there are a couple teams that have newer GMs, newer, uh, I mean, just coaching staffs that are in the, you know, in the market for quarterbacks that probably could get away with it. I just don't know if you need to at one. One more point on Richardson. While we have seen him as low as plus 250 in the aftermath of the combine, also seeing it at probably some sharper books, to be frank, closer to five to one or even plus five fifty. So that's a pretty big discrepancy. I think a PSA when I'm doing the show during the NFL regular season, even talking full game point spreads, it can't recommend highly enough that people shop around, but in the draft market, you can find some pretty wild discrepancies yeah. and it starts with the market like Richardson to go one overall. So Andy, I'm wondering, are there any other discrepancies that have stood out to you in the draft betting market to this stage or as we touched on earlier, as things start to develop and we start to see more lines getting posted that we tend to see year over year, a player's over under, uh, a number of players from a certain position to go in the first round, anything like that where you anticipate that we might see some discrepancies as we get closer to draft day that would be worth keeping a particularly close eye out for? Yeah, once you get to the top of a market, it usually stays pretty tight, but I think if you're looking at someone that's like the third, fourth, fifth favorite in any of these markets, whether it's like, I mean, top wide receiver is there's a lot that has to happen before that's, you know, honestly decided. So when you're looking around at betting into Hyatt or Flowers or some of those longer shot wide receivers, you're seeing some pretty decent discrepancies in the market there. And I mean, even at the top, it's a little different from here or there, but especially when you get into those big multi you know, multi-selection markets that have five or more positional players listed in it. Uh, once you get down the board, you'll see some massive differences. Like, uh, and I mean, even once you get closer to the draft, and this was not a bet that won, but uh, there were certain places that were hanging uh, Malik Willis to go to certain teams. I think three or four books had it. And one book was at like 30 to one for him to go, I believe to the Giants. And, you know, everyone else was maybe 10, 15 or something. So in those those bigger markets, uh, listing teams like that, too, as far as which team does this player go to once it becomes painfully apparent that like Drake London was going somewhere near the top 10, you know, that a lot of teams hung the Falcons as one of the options. And that's something we bet into last year. And again, it was I remember that being quite different from book to book. So the bigger the market, the more the shopping you need to be doing. I like the point about looking beneath the surface a little bit because so often in markets like this, if you're not betting on binary outcomes, like an over under a yes or a no, then books can just hide so much VIG in their prices. So a big plus number often isn't big enough of a plus number, but, but really picking apart those discrepancies that will stand out, you know, looking at the less obvious options, I think is a really valuable process point that people can take away from this conversation and one more point, Andy, on the combine from a process perspective, I'd be curious to hear what you think being as close as you are to the draft betting market. I know that we get a lot of news coming out of Indy during the combine, a lot of results from where people measured in, how they tested. 
how much of it do you consider to be signal or are there certain things that, that you consider to be signal and, and how much of the rest do you just dismiss as noise? It's, it's like 80% noise, I suppose. I mean, it's just like the mock drafts you see this time of year. And I've talked about this before. You have people that take their craft very seriously and are really trying to set a good baseline for, uh, you know, they're one of the most accurate mock drafters in the, you know, in the country and they take pride in that and they're really trying. And then there's people that are, Hey, I mocked, you know, Richards. I'm the first one to make Richardson first overall. And here it is in the headlines. And I need to, you know, I need to get this out because it's clickbait. Like it's the same kind of stuff with some of these post combine, you know, headline grabs as far as, you know, if it's, a, and I don't want to throw Eisen under the bus because I like him quite a bit, but a lot of the stuff on, you know, he talks about, I mean, it's just, it's mass media. It's big, it's big business. And they have to talk about exciting headlines like that. And they have to, even if it's just a rumor, they're going to talk about it extensively, whether it has true merit or not. So, I mean, there's a ton of stuff that comes out that's just for the most part garbage. And, you know, you just kind of got to, over the course of years, vet who you think actually knows stuff. And I, I do keep track. I just I seriously have a, a Google sheet that I have, I mean, at this point, a lot of tweets just copy and pasted into that I've I've saved and I have them organized by position groups and by players and stuff because it's a it's a good one to look back on too. And you know, I have them all dated and I can look back and say like this guy was just kind of full of it. Like he didn't hit on anything. And it, sometimes, you know, it got hope. Hope is a good way to, uh, I don't know, get interactions on Twitter because some you see these, it's like, oh, this is a, a small account, especially now that you can buy a check mark. You'll see this like, oh, this is news. This is like, who's this guy? And then you click and it's a nobody who bought a check mark but he wrote something that everybody from the fan base would sure love to see happen. So it caught some traction. Then you realize like, Oh, this is, this is trash. So just kind of vet everything as you go. And I think you'll end up uh, a lot better in the long run for it. And you really do need to let the combine breathe because there's so much information that comes out of it that actually does move, you know, moves these markets around as small as the limits are. And a lot of it, you just have to sit back and watch it happen. Like I know why this is happening. It's fine. Nobody knows anything yet. I'll let this happen and just kind of track it as we go. And when it comes to sitting back and letting things happen, does there often become a point after the combine where you feel like you might be willing to step in and fade moves that you think are driven by a substantial amount of noise? Or thinking back to our last conversation, it was about the NFL schedule coming out a couple years ago, but you talked about nudges. And sometimes you'll be looking for nudges not to make a bet rather than to make a bet. So I guess on one hand, you could say, hey, there's a lot of noise behind this move. I want to fade the way the market's going and, and actively bet against what's happening or just say, hey, maybe there was value before the combine. But now that the market has adjusted so much, maybe a lot of it's noise, but I'm just going to stay away. If those are you know, two sides of the coin for the purposes of this question, is there one way that you tend to gravitate or is there a case by case basis where certain factors will nudge you in a certain direction? I think the biggest nudge is the calendar for me, like realizing I'll go back and I'll, I'll actually open up my, you know, I track everything in just one place, but I keep, I keep a separate one for the draft. Cause I love that. And I go back and look at like how many days out I was from the draft when I made bets last year and realize like, you're not behind Andy. It's, it's still March. So the biggest nudge that's keeping me off a lot of bets is just how early it is. Cause I sat and hovered for a long time over Stroud to go first overall or Stroud first quarterback. Cause 
it's it's just turned into a like man nobody everyone wants to talk about Bryce's weight and you know how a rich is a is a freak and you know levis wasn't getting the respect he deserved and he could be you know high on draft boards and it's crazy that just stroud kind of got lost in the shuffle he went out and had a really good combine he looked great throwing the ball like he looked like he got it apparently bryce and him tested well as well some of the interviews he nailed and just didn't really didn't really move the market running a really fast 40 move the market uh, more than anything. So super close to betting into some Stroud to, to go first overall, four or four and a half, somewhere in there, and ended up just saying, like, I, I honestly don't know who gets the pick. I don't know if they actually like him. I'm probably just going to stay off this, even if I'd get uh, – because CLV in a market like this is honestly not all all that valuable sometimes when it comes down to it. We saw – I have a tweet I saved that I send to people when they get too excited – where it just lists like Evan Neal minus 200 favorite to go first in the, you know, last year. And a big part of it was, it was pre uh, free agency. That's the other big part of it. We're eight days from free agency. There's going to be some players that move that are drastically going to change, you know, uh, a team's needs in this draft, especially up, up top. And that, that throws a whole wrench into everything. Yeah, I really think that underscores a point that I've tried to make pretty regularly on this show over the years is that sometimes the best bet we can make is to pass. And as betters, the biggest edge we tend to have over the house is our ability to pick our spots. Uh, And not so much for the draft books can choose what they want to post and when they want to post it. But still, to an extent, a lot of books are hanging lines that they don't necessarily want to. They just feel like they have to. And, And that can open up a pretty big attack surface at times. But it also doesn't mean by any stretch that just because something looks interesting that we need to feel compelled to bet it. That can be great for entertainment value, but for you know long-term growing the bankroll, taking care of the ROI, I think there are bigger considerations in play. And your point about not needing to feel like you're behind just because you don't have a lot of bets yet, looking at the calendar really reminds me of one of my biggest takeaways from Super Bowl props this year, where I, I think... Over the years, as I started to do it more and more, it was like, oh, the first year I did it, I would just bet the game and have all my money on one side against the spread. And then I had a few props and then I had 10 props and then 20 and 30. And it got to the point where saying you had like, you know, X dozens of props became almost a certain badge of honor. And I really had to realize, especially this year, is is things might be changing. I don't know the like opening kickoff not to be a touchback used to be one of my favorite bets. Maybe that's because the Patriots weren't a bunch of Super Bowls and Gaskowski under Belichick wouldn't boot the ball into the end zone if they were kicking off to start the game. Um, that's no longer something that I need to consider an annual staple or Super Bowl starting slow. Again, with the Patriots, it's not necessarily a shoe and to say no score in the first six minutes, second half to outscore the first half. And, and a lot of these bets, sometimes it's not a badge of honor to have a certain number of bets. If they're not good bets, it's better to, you know, make fewer bets with more value. And again, to your point, be mindful of closing line value in prop markets or draft betting markets. But if you don't have a lot of conviction, as exciting as this all can be, there is no need to force the hand to get in play, especially when we're again, almost two months out. And like you said, less than two weeks out from free agency. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have a ton of, I'd be, most of my bets were just small stuff that popped up. A lot of it went away right away. Like there was somebody that opened a few over-unders for some reason weeks ago. Like I, I should honestly check the date on this bet. It's it's crazy how early some things open for just no particular reason at all. I did bet a little bit Will Anderson to be the top defender when some books. I mean, that's another good because so much of this is informational. Be ready. Like, that's something I do every day is I open all my sports books. I go to the draft part. Like you asked at the beginning, what markets are up? I check. 
I know like Vegas refund is just crazy. He does this multiple times a day, but uh, I check what markets are up just so I know in case something happens like the Jalen Carter news, somebody was slow. Will Anderson was still even money to be first defender. I was able to get a piece of that. It wasn't up for very long because, you know, essentially that news took a lot of the markets down, but you know, it's, it's one of the only pay. And then earlier this, and Jesus, this is the, 29th of January, somebody put up a mm-hmm. Anthony Richardson under 16 and a half for draft position. It was minus 160, but I bet it anyway. And again, small limits, but th- those are essentially my only bets that let me get anything down. So it's like I said, I, I looked at my calendar. I looked at the sheet from last year and said, I'm fine. As soon as these over-unders start opening up, I'm sure I'm going to have a dozen bets like that. I really like your tip on just opening up draft menus at different books because so much can change day to day or even within the course of a day and it reminds me of being at bet bash with hitman good friend of this show and he told me some of the season-long props he was betting in vegas as everybody else was fixated on the national championship game between north carolina and kansas he's just looking at all the prop betting menus from his phone, flipping through it. And it's not the most glamorous thing, but that's how people who win at this, that that's often how they find some of the best bets. Again, you talked about betting Richardson under 16 and a half while the playoffs were still going on and nobody was really thinking about the draft. And sometimes just being attentive like that might make it sound like more of a grind, but that's how I think a lot of people can uncover some of the best bets that will become available. And for those that might've missed the boat on something like Richardson to go you know, basically in the first half of the first round or Will Anderson to be the first defensive player. I'd be curious to see what thoughts you might have on capitalizing on the attack surface in the draft betting market. I feel like right now there's not a very big surface to bet into. So maybe this is to consider for the weeks to come. But let's say we had a scenario um, using the recent past as an example to look forward that Jalen Carter news. Okay, bet Anderson to be the first defensive player taken. I kind of see a parallel to the regular season where if we get whispers of quarterback injury news, the first place a lot of people go is to the point spread or the money line for the upcoming game posted for that current week. And that's a good starting point, but it's not an end point because you can also look at look ahead lines or depending on the quarterback and the teams that could be affected, you know, futures for divisions, conferences, even the Super Bowl, or in the case of Jalen Hurts, when news of his injury trickled out, the MVP market was a little bit slow to move. So sometimes it's looking beyond just the knee-jerk reaction that everybody has. And to that end, when it comes to news leading up to the draft market and the attack surface that will expand for us as draft day gets closer, are there any different angles that you recall using in the past to back or fade you know, certain marquee players in draft betting markets as such an information-driven market has really presented some breaking news that some books might be slow to respond to? Yeah, I mean, you can start looking, like, look at all the different ways you can bet. Let's say you get really good information. Look at all the different ways you can bet into it. Because, you know, once I had the Trayvon Walker news and I felt good about it, I bet as much as I could everywhere I could. And again, it's, you hit your head on limits pretty quick when you're draft betting, because a lot of places won't take very much, especially in the offshore markets. You know, some places I was just, well, the hell with it. I opened up the book. I already logged in. I'm betting $25 on this. I don't care. That's like, it'll let me bet. I just know better than to log in here next time. But then you started looking at, well, what else is going to happen? If, if Trayvon Walker goes first, Nobody else can go first. And there were still places that had Aiden Hutchinson over, you know, over one and a half. 
And again, it was a juicy price, but at the same point, it's the same bet, just at a, a, a different price. You start hitting things like that. And then when when we knew where the cornerbacks were going to start going, when we when we felt good about the three pick, you could start making bets in the the head-to-head markets for the cornerbacks or how many cornerbacks go in the first. Or, you know, the, the biggest mover on the Evan Neal thing was, uh, you know, the signing of a an offensive lineman re-signing or whatever to to Jacksonville and then suddenly it wasn't a huge need you're gonna run into the same thing if we you know if we see some of the which this is a horrible example I almost said you know one of the one of the bigger wide receivers that might be moving is Hopkins and I think the probably the team that probably drafts the first wide receiver is Houston I really don't see him going back there but in this uh, wildly stupid hypothetical you know let's just say the Texans were to sign a really high end wide receiver in the, you know, in the free agency market that changes a lot about that, that section. And suddenly it's like, man, the next wide receiver is like the Patriots or the Packers and like, who have they traditionally taken? What kind of, you know, what kind of wide receivers do they need? Are they in need of a, you know, a guy who's going to play in the slot a lot? You know, does JSN make sense in this sort of spot at all, which God, he, I mean, he's, just maybe born to be a patriot at this point, but there's a you know there's stuff like that that's you you do need to think about like not only does this guy drop he might drop below other players just because he isn't a fit for the next two teams that really need that position or you know maybe aren't willing to take that position at this point. So it, like, yeah, it's everything is just everything just kind of dominoes on it, on itself like that. If if this happens, then it's a lot of if thens for sure, especially especially in the top ten. And as you walk through some of those examples at the top of the draft, I'm reminded of a couple years ago, it was, I think, the morning of the first round and news came out that was pretty reliable that the Niners were going to draft Trey Lance. For the longest time leading up to that draft, it was, what are the Niners doing at three? And there were books everywhere with lines on, you know, Trey Lance, let's say, I don't know what the over-under was. Let's say over-under three and a half. Of course, if you knew this, you'd just go bet under three and a half everywhere you could but then there were even some offshores where I believe there were separate bets. One was phrased um, like which team will um, one, one was phrased who will the 49ers draft at number three. And you had some yeah. of the quarterbacks in the mix. And then another was phrased, which team will draft Trey Lance. And you basically got all 32 teams and books can't handle, you know, moving all of their lines as quickly as they need to sometimes. So there might be cases where, you know, Hey, they're going to pull the market on under three and a half, but if I can get, the 49ers to draft Trey Lance and a drop down of, you know, 32 teams beneath his name. Yeah. They're adding a lot of hidden vig to non-binary bet types like I covered earlier. But if you more or less know the answer, that's something that books will be slower to move to. So just trying to, again, think downstream. Sometimes this market can move so quickly on information, but I don't want that to sound like people shouldn't have any hope if they don't have the chance to monitor Twitter all day from the best beat reporters. Cause sometimes if you're a little bit late, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're too late. If you can get a bit creative. Yeah, and you've seen that a lot of people had, you know, Stingley, Sauce, London. They weren't fully known, but I mean, a lot of people felt really good about those at certain points. And there was like five different ways to bet them. You know, I for sure had a, like I mentioned, London goes to the Falcons. He's drafted by the Falcons. You know, London goes under that of under over, you know, it moved to like eight and a half, I believe, at the end. But there was a lot of 10 and a half, 11 and a half that we ended up on as well. But yeah, as soon as as soon as something happens, like you said, and I believe Mac Jones was still at three and a half at that point when the, you know, you I, wasn't wasn't at the. It was believed it was going to be Mac Jones before it was known that it was Trey Lance. And then, I mean, so they hung Mac Jones at three and a half for the longest time. And once it became obvious who it was, it's just like, well, 
he's not going first or second. So we're going to hit this three and a half for as much as it'll let us. And yeah, that one, that one obviously worked out as well. God, what was it, 15th? Yeah, I think so. And I like that point because it's it's not just to look back and say, hey, in hindsight, here are all these slam dunks. I'm trying to make this as forward looking as possible from a process standpoint. Odds are there are going to be one or two, if not more, pieces of news leading up to this draft. There, pretty much every year things come up where I love your point about Mac Jones when the Trey Lance news broke because it's a what's Lance's position, which team is going to draft Lance, but also, okay, who else has been in the mix in this conversation and look at other guys and just try to be, you know, a little bit quicker than some books. I'm reminded of what's the metaphor where, um, you know, two friends encounter a bear and one of them starts running and somebody says, Hey, like you're never going to outrun this bear. It's like, I just have to outrun you. Like you don't have to be first. If you're a little bit creative, you can still outrun the books in a lot of ways. Yeah. And that, and again, that goes back to just knowing, knowing what markets are available to you at all times. Absolutely. Well, one market that is pretty widely available right now, not just uh, who's going to go first overall, but Andy, the team picking first overall, the Chicago Bears. Um, I'd like to run by you an example of, if we think about there being a pie chart with a few different categories, do the Bears trade the pick? Do they keep it and draft a defensive player? Do they keep it and draft another quarterback? Uh, none of the above. Um, I think I misspoke earlier. It's it's not available yet to you know answer this from a betting standpoint at pretty much any book. But if we think, do the Bears trade the pick? Do they draft a defensive player? Do they draft a quarterback? Um, you know, again, none of the above. Do they go off the reservation, so to speak? At this stage, if those options exist in the form of a pie chart, about how big would you say each slice should be as you anticipate what the Bears are going to do on the clock at number one overall? I I have doubts about how much leverage they actually have. Like, I, I don't think they're going to get this godfather deal to just like, oh my god, the Bears just really made out like a bandit here. They're going to have so much value out of this. Although I think they realize that like even a middling offer is going to be so much better as far as how much value it affords your team compared to even, even if, you know, Will Anderson, Carter, whoever, whatever defensive player you take, ends up being a you know an all pro the amount of picks you can get the amount of draft capital you can get for this is is greater so i i think you know obviously you don't take a bad deal just to take it but the fact that there's a couple teams vying for it it feels like it's it's an almost a certainty that they do get a deal done i you know knowing what gm's tendencies are is useful we have a lot of that in indy we don't have a lot of that in chicago we know they made a pretty bad pick for a uh, trade for a wide receiver last year that ended up essentially being a first round pick for Claypool. And uh, maybe that's really the only thing I have to go off of besides some of the jettisoning, jettisoning of defensive players, which I liked. Those are the right moves, I think, for you know how to build this team going forward. So I don't have a strong read of what the Bears are going to do. But I mean, enough teams have been talking to them and, and it's it's a supply demand thing with quarterbacks. There's, you know, there's only so many quarterbacks and there's so many teams that need one right now. There's so many teams that would love to have one on a controlled rookie deal. And, you know, once Rogers lands somewhere, Carr has landed somewhere, there's there's just not a lot left out there. And you have to start looking at, you know, how much are we willing to leverage to get one of these young guys? Do we like one? So my pie chart is almost like the, the Bears trade down at least once is, you know, like 99%. I don't, I don't like to work in absolutes, but if they were to not trade the pick and draft a defensive player, it would almost certainly be a failure on their part. 
Yeah, I know there's been some talk of the Bears holding the pick. And I think most of the people who I've heard discuss that have said so in the context of them taking another flyer on a quarterback with some high upside, not necessarily settling for a defensive player who will most likely still be on the board at least a couple of picks after yeah. the first name is called on draft day. But as part of that answer, Andy, you touched on one of the X factors I wanted to run by you, GM and scouting history. How much do you look at historical tendencies from certain teams when it comes to maybe they have certain position archetypes they like to follow or teams that tend to draft more based on need versus best available? Uh, you know, certain teams might value character more than others to the extent that we can even judge that at this point for these players entering the draft. How much of a factor is that in your draft betting process to the extent that you can get a read on GMs or scouts historical tendencies in the draft? Yeah, a little bit. I know a lot has come out on what we have in Indianapolis, their tendencies, you know, they've never drafted a cornerback with uh, reach this, you know, an arm span that wasn't this big and they've never signed or drafted a quarterback that wasn't at least this big. You know, there are some tendencies, but you, you do have new GMs every year. It's tough to get a read on some of that. Like I mentioned, the bears, the Vikings have, you know, uh, only a, what, two years deep into Quessy's tenure, uh, I think you have a pretty good feel for Casario just because he came from a, a system and was there for so long. And there's a bit of a tendency up, up in the new England way, but you know, it, it, it's tough to get a read. And uh, what two of the, two of the top three picks have new newish GMs at this point. Uh, there's a lot of talk of maybe the Seahawks, even though they paid, um, you know, our guy Gino, that they might still look at a quarterback because there's, they're in such a catbird spot here, but um, they need a defensive player, and that's come up a bunch too with the Jalen Carter news. They have been a little uh, hesitant to, you know, draft people with player concern, or excuse me, with you know off the field concerns like that. So, I mean, there are teams that shy away from that stuff, and Seattle kind of is in that in that boat. And at that point, you start to wonder how how far some of these guys fall because a guy can only fall so far before a team that says we have no business taking a player at this position, but he's just too good. Like, you know, you can say that's not a position of need, but at this point it's like, I have to take this guy. So the the back half of the top five is going to be just as interesting as the the first half with some of the teams you have involved. Obviously the, the Raiders being a bit of a wild card over the years, the Falcons having a new GM, maybe year two or year three after Dimitrov left. And then the mess that is Carolina. And then the mess that isn't Philadelphia, God bless them. Super Bowl, Super Bowl, you know, appearance and a top 10 pick he can't i mean he can complain a little not winning the whole thing but and having a top 10 pick after being in the super bowl is really something yeah quite the enviable position for philadelphia right now and i found it interesting that you also talked about the seahawks i think we can agree that it would be quite a surprise if they took a quarterback after they just paid Gino. But I also think it's worth keeping in mind to your earlier point about not thinking in absolutes. It's the same team and, and largely the same regime, if I'm not mistaken, that had paid Matt Flynn what was considered to be a pretty hefty contract at the time and then drafted Russell Wilson. And we've seen a team like Washington with, you know, uh, what, RG3 and Kirk Cousins. So this does happen sometimes. And I think just looking at the Seahawks and saying, oh, there's a headline they just paid Geno Smith. So for sure they're not drafting a quarterback. That's probably correct but it's not definitely correct. And we've seen some examples in the past. So I think that that's worth keeping in mind. And 
beyond what GMs and, you know, let's say at the team level, what we've seen historically, I also think there are some tendencies that you might read into when it comes to the players entering the draft, when it comes to the fit, if, if they're a slot receiver and certain teams stack up, you think that in a certain range, we might see a run on outside wide receivers or zone corners versus man corners. Are, are there any areas where you see certain runs on, on not just a position, but a certain type of player at a specific position where you would really heavily weigh you know, a, a player's fit within a certain scheme. That's kind of what I'm starting to work on right now because so much of that is a little ambiguous. You know, nobody runs 100% the style defense or, you know, 100% that. But there are some spots where it's like, hey, guess what? You have a starting receiver who runs 80% of his routes out of the slot. Like, you're going to really draft a slot receiver. You need an outside guy. You need a complementary outside guy. You know, th- there is there's levels to these positional needs. And, you know, that's why I loved uh, JSN to the chargers. If, if Keenan Allen walks like, well, what a, what a beautiful fit, like should just step in day one and, you know, not be Keenan Allen, but gosh, I mean, the upside is just as high. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of talk about which cornerback fits Detroit scheme the best. You know, a lot of people have said like this cornerback over that and, you know, the other teams are going to be drafting corners or, you know, have an interest in Witherspoon, Gonzalez, any of those guys, you know, that it is something worth putting in your notes. And that's kind of what I'm working through right now. So I don't have great answers on who fits where, because I mean, some of these mock drafts, you really have to like fact check. Like I've read a couple that said, you know, one thing or the other. And after a while, it's like, I don't know if I actually believe you believe that. So I've, I've started to kind of put some of my best fit for some of these teams that seem bound and determined to, you know, maybe be pretty stuck in one or two positional groups. Speaking of things that people write that you on the other end might question whether they really believe it. I'd love to talk about mock drafts for a moment and when it comes to the approach that some people take, wisdom of the crowds, just trying to put together everything and see where the averages settle out, how much do you lean in that direction versus maybe pivoting hard the other way and just focusing on the most reputable guys like a Daniel Jeremiah or a Dane Brugler? Yeah, I think it's wisdom of the crowd, but have the right crowd. You know, it's it's because a lot of wisdom of the crowd stuff comes in with, you know, guessing. If you get a thousand people to guess how many jelly beans are in a jar you're gonna be pretty close but i'm not gonna comp you know i'm not gonna compile a thousand mock drafts nor am i you know gonna put a lot of faith in some of the people that would make it if i had to go that far out so a lot of it is just having your core three four five guys that really really take mocking seriously have a long track record of being fairly accurate you know and when you find inaccuracies it's like well nobody knew that the, you know all these trades were going to go down everybody kind of did bad in that part of the draft and there i mean there's are certain certain teams that are connected to certain people who mock you know they just it's like this guy has a connection with this team like he has sources with this team he's always nailing you know the Jets pick or the well I was gonna say the Pittsburgh pick everybody always nails the Pittsburgh pick everybody knows who they're gonna draft a week in advance for some reason but you know there are some of those guys too where you know if you're looking at a wisdom of the crowd but your guy who always seems to know exactly what's going on in Detroit says otherwise you know you do got to throw some of that wisdom and the crowd out and just go with your you know what you truly believe to be the right answer there and continuing along that vein with this being such an information driven market. I mean, to the extent that 
you feel comfortable sharing anything. And, and if that's not the case, I get it. We can just give people some general recommendations to do some of the work on their own. But when it comes to really good sources from an overall standpoint across the league or team specific guys, I think if I recall correctly, like Peter Schrager is really close to Sean McVay and the Rams, not that the Rams ever do much in the first round these days, but are there any <laughs> league overall or team specific guys who you will be keeping a particularly close eye on as round one approaches? I mean, you you already mentioned like some of the big names, like Jeremiah's <clears throat> uh, a decent sized name, and you know everybody knows him, but still, it he just seems to be honed in on stuff early, you know. Uh, Zierlin Brugler, uh, uh, Charlie Campbell, Walter Football, Charlie Campbell, like the, some of the mocks are, and I think there's people that fall into these, you know. Hey, it's March 7th. It doesn't matter what my mock draft says. Like, you know, a, a, a guy who I value and I think does a good job of mock drafting has Bijan Robinson, like, in the top five. Like, that's just not happening. Like, we're not going to be wasting that kind of, but it's fine because it's March. So it's just, you know, I'm, I'm throwing that out and I'm going to look for information from them further down the road. So, you know, for the most part, it is just taking in those big names and starting to throw out throw out some of the ones that just don't seem to be getting stuff right every year. And, you know, I hate to, I hate to dog on like Kuiper and McShay, but it doesn't seem like they're the first people to get anything anymore. You know, it is, they're going to be pretty accurate once we get towards draft day, but, you know, take a lot of that stuff with a grain of salt and, you know, Schefter, the same thing goes with the, the big newsbreakers and stuff. Like once it's out with Schefter, everybody's known it at that point. Like somebody has had that information already. So just to kind of keep an ear to the ground and continue to build up, like not that Twitter works anymore. Like the functionality just gets worse every day, but you know, build yourself some lists of guys like that who are just, you know, their, their whole feed is just talking about quotes or picking through interviews and finding quotes from the, uh, from the combine and stuff. Those are just, it's great stuff to just read in the morning and catch up on. I like the point that it's not just a matter of, okay, this person is reliable or this person is not, but considering the arc of the draft betting market, uh, some guys who've been around for a while and have really big names might skew much more accurate later in the process and others might be reliable more early on. And then they're, they're more or less, you know, in line with the rest of the mainstream media later on. So there's not as much value some guys like Jeremiah might be rock solid every step of the way. So there's a lot of nuance here, but I appreciate the names you shared and then the context on how people can consider those names over the entirety of the process. And you also touched on the fact that, yes, we're having this conversation in early March, so any mocks should probably be taken with a hefty grain of salt. Yet, Andy, if I understand correctly, you made a mock draft in March for the first time this year. And on one hand, that is admittedly a stupid thing to do, if I'm quoting you correctly from last week's episode of the fifth year option. Yet on the other hand, you went ahead and did it. So I'm wondering what kind of value you found in going through that exercise. It was, I think everybody should do that. You go, just go to any of those that let you do a, a mock, however you have to do it. Say I'm, I'm drafting for all 31 teams in the first round and start to try to do that because I had to start over three times. I just kept having uh and I, I don't, I'm not hundred percent sure where he's falling now. I think his, his value is actually a little lower, but man, I just kept having uh, the safety from Alabama fall way out of the first it's like man somebody's got to draft a safety right and eventually it just gets to be a puzzle like 
Like how far can you let people fall before somebody's just going to nab them up, even if it's not one of their primary positions of need? And it does it does get pretty tricky. And then obviously the whole thing is bunk when there's three, you know, when there's three trades in the first five picks after uh, after we get to April. But it was I think it was it was valuable. I'm going to continue to try to do it every week. It's been just such a tough week with conference tournaments this week and trying to take in everything from the combine and use that to do my version, too. But hopefully I have something out here the next day or two. But I'm expecting the same thing where I start over three or four times because I'm not happy where I'm at it once I get to about pick 20. It sounds like every fantasy football mock draft I've ever done as well. After a couple of rounds, I'm like, oh, let's let's start this all over. But it's yeah. the beauty in going through the exercise. And well, while it's important to realize that, like you said earlier, we are not the ones drafting, just realizing the human element that goes into all this. If you try to put your shoes and put yourself in somebody else's shoes for just a moment, you can realize just how chaotic the whole process can be. And adding to the chaos this year, you mentioned there are only 31 picks in the first round, thanks to the Dolphins forfeiting their first rounder. Do you think that that wrinkle is going to factor into any potential edges when it comes to, you know, some books? Is there a chance we find anybody sleeping at the wheel when they line, you know, number of offensive players in the first round, number of defensive players in the first round? Is there anything you're looking out for to exploit the fact that this is a rare year in which the first round will only see 31 names get called? Yeah, I wonder if you didn't nail it there, too. That's that's the one that comes to mind right away. Like, is somebody going to hang a bad number on that right away where, you know, you see that you take all the regular season win totals in the NFL preseason and it adds up to five more wins than can actually happen. And somebody's probably going to tie anyway, so it's seven more wins at that point. So, you know, there's there's the same kind of thing. You wonder if that's going to be a bad number somewhere when that comes up or if somebody hangs, you know, uh, you know, the offensive linemen, the wide receivers, you start adding that all up and the median starts to creep a little higher than 31 as well. So keep an eye on those, take that into account, and then just kind of know. Obviously, there's one less team who needs a positional player at that point too, and everybody is scooting up a touch. Although the biggest thing I'm worried about is over-unders placed in the low 20s if there's going to be any ambiguity on grading those like i'm hoping that they're just going to call the 22nd pick the 21st but i mean technically that pick exists and it's forfeited so you know if Mm. if the you know what is is it the chargers who have the pick right after yeah the chargers are right after the dolphins like is that over 20 and a half or is that over 21 and a half like i i really need answers on that before i start getting into some of those markets That's a good point. I would only have thought that it's going to be, you know, however many players have been drafted up to that point, that's the number that will be associated with this outcome. But if technically somewhere it says, you know, whatever, you know, X pick forfeited, but that number counts somewhere that gets documented, then I know sometimes we say books, they'll just go off NFL.com box scores. And if there's something that's wrong there, it's really important to know what's going to stand. So that's a really good call out because that could get some people perhaps a bit overextended in the unique nature of this year's first round. Yeah. I just, I need answers on that. Somebody needs to, somebody needs to answer me and letting me know exactly like is Goodell going to come up on stage and say the dolphins forfeit the pick chargers on the clock. Like I I don't know if they want to advertise it. That's Mm -hmm. not great PR for them, but um, it'll be interesting if that's an actual pick that counts that no one was taken at or if it just skipped and the Chargers are drafting 21st. Yeah, good point. So shop accordingly, everybody out there. 
And Andy, I think that's a great way to wrap up a lot of the process focused part of this conversation. Also wanted to see if we could go through a few rapid fire questions to lay some final groundwork as people start to formulate their own NFL draft betting portfolios. Is there a bet on the board right now that you would consider your best bet or anywhere that you currently see an edge? I, I hate to give out something that just isn't isn't valuable. It's it's tough to see anything that's you know super bettable right now. If you get some, if you like a wide receiver, if you think you you can read the tea leaves, there's some long shots on wide receivers, but the the limited markets that are up right now, I don't really have a great bet to place into this right now. Very fair. So as a follow up to that, I would draw another parallel to Super Bowl props where. Some of my favorite bets year over year, excluding what I had mentioned earlier in this conversation, there are still some annual staples that I always kind of plan to bet, but there's no rush thinking along the lines of marquee players to go under certain game props betting against human achievement. Often the most value appears on game day. So in the draft betting market, is there anything that you haven't bet yet, but that you're keeping in the sights to possibly pull the trigger on closer to draft day? Like I said, I want to see where the tight ends open up as far as how many tight ends go in the first round, because I think the the media hype cycle around all of them is a little too high right now, considering that, you know, the positional value and the, the fact that, I mean, a lot of teams are going to be looking at a lot of different players. There's so many good corners, three or four good linemen. You have all the wide receivers. You have the four quarterback quarterbacks. You have the, the all the defensive linemen that are going to go high. You're just going to start to run out of spots. Like the, the for for there to be you know two three four tight ends in the first round, there's going to be a lot of guys that have to fall. So I'm I'm excited to see what that opens at and if I'm going to be able to bet into an under on that one. All right, Andy. Final draft question. Then we will weave in the hops to close things out. When it comes to the NFL draft betting market after the combine, knowing the meteoric rise that we've seen for Anthony Richardson, the fall for Jalen Carter, given what we know right now, any predictions for one of the biggest risers and one of the biggest fallers between today and draft day? Yeah, I wonder I wonder where this uh, Miles Murphy is going to end up with. Like uh, a lot of people mocked him in the top 10. I can see, you know, I just, it's so hard to keep all the all the quarterbacks out. It's so hard to keep maybe one or two corners. Like I think some of the edge guys that aren't on the the level of like Anderson and, and Tyree Wilson, I think you're gonna see some edge guys drop a little bit. So maybe Miles Murphy ends up dropping or continues to drop. You're gonna see and then you probably get to see a center. I mentioned this one other place. There's always a center. Like there's always a center that someone's going to move over at guard. Like watch out, go look at the centers markets. I think I, I put the Minnesota center in uh, late in the first, but there's always some teams that are going to draft some offensive linemen late in the first that maybe you don't see in a lot of box. I mean, or nobody's going to sit and predict the you know the Chattanooga guy to go get or where, was that the where the Patriots took it? I believe it was Chattanooga. Yeah. Like, there's going to be that's some where stuff. McVay freaked out that they were yeah. the Rams were looking at him in like the third round and he cracked up when New England took him in the first. Yeah, have fun predicting that sort of stuff. But there's definitely going to be some interior linemen that don't get a lot of, you know, they're not shiny and fun like a big offensive left tackle. But uh, some interior linemen always seem to move up. All right. Well, Andy, thank you for all the draft insight. It can't wrap this up without weaving in the hops. And I'll use air quotes when I mention the hops because on your Twitter bio, you mention being a lover of brown liquor. So we can go into that realm instead. And I'm wondering these days if there's a go-to on the brown liquor front for you right now. 
I like Barrel quite a bit. It's just uh, they have a bunch of fun ones as far as how they've uh, aged it, I guess. The barrels they're using, the wood they're using, the different mixes, and they have a couple rides I like. It's not very cheap, though, so I, I try to make those last instead of ripping through a bottle like it's uh, you know, one of the cheaper ones. So barrels are pretty good, one, although it is almost beer season. I've uh, We've been seeing a little more beer in the fridge. We have the little... Uh, yeah, the little beverage fridge that the wife installed last year with the kitchen remodel. And that was full of some grain belt Nordeasts the other day. And I, I hadn't had those in a long time. So I was feeling it's, it's going to start warming up here eventually. And I'll be back on uh, beer and gin. Yeah. I I'm not so familiar with uh, what you said. The grain belt Nordeasts was what you had stocked up on recently. Yeah. I don't know that that's sold all that uh, far out of the Midwest. It's a, it's a brewery up in St. Paul that's been around for quite a while. And so it's named after a, a neighborhood in one of either Minneapolis or St. Paul the, that they came out with a few years back. It's it's pretty good. So the wife likes that. Otherwise, it's usually usually banquet beers. You get the little grenades of those. Can't go wrong with that. Absolutely. And whenever you can cross state lines, I, I think I might have alluded to this last time, but if you can get to Wisconsin and, and pick up anything from New Glarus, yeah. they can do – no wrong in my book. Yeah. I'll also add that on the brown liquor side, I definitely skew more toward the hops most of the time. But I was recently in Vegas, and I guess I, I earned my my beer or my drinks because I ran a half marathon with my wife on the strip um, last Sunday night, a week and a half ago, as we record this conversation. And afterward, we found ourselves at the Nomad Bar, which is at Park MGM in Las Vegas. Great bar, really cool build out and exceptional service. I think the staff there really embraces the craft of cocktails. And I had one of the best old fashions I've ever had. And it was using Elijah Craig barrel proof bourbon. And I'd had Elijah Craig mixed in before. And that's, you know, that's really good in its own right. But the barrel proof version, I think it's probably more in the lines of the barrel recommendation you had earlier from a price standpoint, not the most affordable. So I wouldn't probably spring for it all the time. But yeah, one in Rome, anything uh, featuring Elijah Craig barrel proof bourbon, I can't recommend it highly enough, especially if you're looking to bump something up on the short list of the best old fashions you might ever have. Yeah, and it's still it's still old fashioned season. I just keep uh, running out of oranges. Yeah, <laughs> well, uh, fortunately, we've got those in uh, more abundant yeah. supply out here in Southern California, but it's never not old fashioned season and it's never not really NFL betting season if we're being serious with ourselves. Andy, I want to thank you for taking the time to come on today and take an early look at the NFL draft for the Props and Hops audience. Those of you listening, if you're not doing so already, you can follow Andy on Twitter at AndyMSFW. And you can also find him as the co-host of the Deep Dive Pod, the fifth-year option podcast, Brown Bag Bets. Also follow his work over at Betsperts. Andy, once again, thanks for all the time and insight. Anything I'm missing or anything else you'd like to add? No, I think you nailed it there. I'm just, uh, well, I guess Betsperts Golf as well. I do some work over there. I just, uh, I do some betting. I, I'm probably third banana over there. Ron and Ryan do a lot of the a lot of the heavy lifting, but some of the best golf previews you'll find. Ron Kloss does a great job. He writes an absolute tome every week about the course and, you know, the, the field and what, uh, what differentiates it from week to week. So those are really good to read and they're free. It's not behind a paywall or anything. So Betsperts Golf, if you like to bet on the golf every week, there's a very good preview every Monday or Tuesday. Love it. Well, Andy, once again, thank you to the audience. Thank you for tuning in. And I'll catch you again with another interview next week, right back here on Props and Hops. Props and hops and